It is the year 2021. The Bomb Squad is celebrating the 30th anniversary. The fucker. There we go. I already fucked up. The Transformers will return after these messages. Hi, and welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. Uh, with me today are. Hi, I'm Tanner Richard Kraft. I'm Tim M. Sullivan. I'm Austin Sweebelman. And today, we'll be talking about the Transformers, the movie, celebrating its 35th anniversary. Um, this is the 1986 film, to, to be clear, the animated one, not the bad one that Tanner likes. Um, I don't know why I threw Tanner under the bus there. but um, And speaking of the franchise writ large, outside of this particular 1986 film that I love, what are the rest of your guys' experiences with the uh, Transformers franchise as a whole? So my general uh, history of the Transformers franchise is my introduction to it, which I assume a lot of men my age, just people my age in general's introduction to it, was with the Michael Bay movies. I saw the first one, not in theaters, but I got it on DVD because that's how I watched most of my movies back then. I'm an autism, so, you know, theaters weren't really good for me when I was younger, when I was more sensitive to sound. But I remember thinking that that first Transformers movie was a lot of fun. It was exhilarating. I liked, like, I thought these things, these robots that would transform into cars and then big mech robots was like, whoa, this is cool. I want to be a Transformer. Uh, after that, around the, uh, a year or two later, I think a cartoon, what was it called again, Ethan? The one on Cartoon Network, the Enko style one? Transformers Animated. Yeah, Transformers Animated started around that time. I didn't catch that many episodes of it, but sometimes some will be on. There's a specific joke from that show that, from I believe the pilot that rings in my head, where the little explorer, little girl explains to Optimus how babies are made. She just whispers it in his ear, and then Optimus has the funniest goddamn face ever in response. I just think about that every day. Other than that, I watched Revenge of the Fallen when that came out to DVD a few years later. That and The Last Airbender watching both of those movies around the same time was like my introduction to the idea that movies can be bad. Up until that point, every movie was the greatest movie ever made. From Underdog to The Lion King, every movie was the greatest movie ever made to me. This was my idea that like movies could be bad, that I could not like them. Transformers to me has given me gift and given me curse. When I was a teenager, I my friend told me, hey, go watch Beast Wars. It's an awesome show from like the 90s. It's early CG. It's from the guys that did Reboot. And I went, what's Reboot? And he's like, I'll tell you when you're older. And um, so I watched Beast Wars, and that was a lot of fun. I, I have a lot of fond memories of watching Beast Wars as a teenager. After that, uh, Bumblebee, that came out a few years ago. Fucking love Bumblebee. I've seen some episodes of the show. There's that one show where they go to the planet where everything's real big, especially relative to the Transformers littered with some of the most hilarious animation errors I've seen in my life. Uh, like where they flat out layer stuff wrong, which was real funny. That's more or less my general history of the franchise. I saw the animated movie that we're talking about today once when I was a teenager and yeah, I was so, so on it back then, but we'll get more into our thoughts later, right? Obviously. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I think a lot of people's exposure was uh, first exposure was the uh, Michael Bay film, especially for for younger folks. That certainly tracks. And it's interesting that you went back to Beast Wars. Um, usually, you hear about people going back to G one when like they're introduced to it now because it's re- more related to the Michael Bay stuff, right? But Beast Wars is certainly worth going back to, even if it hasn't visually held up super well. The narrative, the writing is certainly a lot tighter than it was in the old G1 cartoon. And so it is it is engaging on that level. And I think the, the, the robot animation in that is pretty darn good, um, if not the animal animation, which is very funny. I love Optimus Primal's weird monkey donk, just a strange <laughs> man who rides around on a, I love that image of him riding on um, 
the the rhinoceros whose name escapes me. It's very funny. But uh, moving on from the subject of weird, dated CG things with good writing, Tim, what's your experience with the franchise? Well, I guess we're jumping back into the weird, dated CG things because when I was younger, when I was a little kid, probably like three or so, my brother used to watch Beast Wars all the time, and I caught bits of it here and there. I'd watch a couple episodes. I remember we had a bunch of the toys, and I, I didn't watch it personally a whole lot. I was more into, like, Power Rangers and Pokemon at the time. But, like, I, I remember watching some of it and thinking it was kind of cool. A couple of years later, the WB started airing reruns of one of the anime versions, Transformers Cybertron. And I remember thinking that show was pretty cool. I watched it whenever it was coming on after school. I'd just be playing with my Legos, watching Transformers, and watching whatever other shows they were airing. I think Malcolm in the Middle came on after that. And then once the first Michael Bay movie came out, I remember going to see that with my friends. And I remember at the time thinking that was such a cool thing because it was just these insane special effects that I'd never seen anything quite like that before. And then we started seeing a little too much of it. Like, I, I watched the first three. I've never seen the ones that came after that. I still haven't even watched Bumblebee, which I need to eventually. I keep hearing that one's actually Disgusting. really good. Bumblebee rules. You, you trust my opinion, right? Watch Bumblebee. I've, I've heard people say that Bumblebee's good. I'll get to it eventually. Like I, I watched bits and pieces of the original series when it was airing on The Hub, back when The Hub was a thing, back when they had the, the Batmans and the ponies and the robots. Um, so I, I watched I watched bits and pieces of Transformers on there, and re- I remember thinking it, it, it seemed neat, but it, it wasn't something I was watching as much as I was watching like Batman. I would say it wasn't super much of a Transformers kid growing up. I've just seen like bits and pieces of different versions of Transformers here and there, but yeah, it, it's it's something that I think is cool when I do see it usually. That's usually most people's association with it. It's more like yeah. like iconography and stuff, like like you know Optimus Prime and Megatron and such and such characters, and just kind of catching them on te- television a little bit. But for a lot of it, a lot of folks, unless you really got into it, it doesn't stick with you. I, I feel like the anime one- renditions in particular are kind of losing. Um, they're, they never had a whole lot of cultural cachet, and they're losing it more and more. They're, they're like sort of the awkward middle children, despite being pretty <laughs> decent, um, at least Armada. Yeah which will always be remembered as the Transformers with Pokemon, with the Minicons. Uh, when what? fans were very upset about that. Um, the Minicons, they were like the little, every week they would look for a new little robot that would turn into like a gun or an upgrade when they combined with the main Transformer. <laughs> That'll turn into a gun. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, some of them did just turn into guns, like the old Target Masters or Headmasters concept, but with sort of a Pokemon spin. I need to watch this right now. Autobots roll out. But um, I think that is a lot of that sort of peripheral cultural consciousness. And speaking of uh, peripheral cultural consciousness, I think Austin is the the least well-versed on the Transformers here um, for a group of people who aren't super well-versed on their Transformers in general. 
for me, Transformers has been exclusively on the periphery. Like, I have some hazy memories of seeing KPLR TV, Kids WB, uh, screening Beast Wars. And the most engagement I had with that was, oh my god, computer-generated animation is the future, and it looks crazy. That would later be mirrored in 2007 when the uh, Michael Bay movie came out. I thought that that CGI looked groundbreaking at the time, and I went to see that in the theaters. And while it was, I I still think, the best out of those live-action movies, I wasn't very enchanted with it because I found the human characters to not be super engaging or charming. Then the year after that, Wachowski film Speed Racer came out, and it had garnered largely negative reviews. So I went online and I tried to find a video review of it that gave it, you know, a positive review because then I would trust those reviewers because I had liked that movie. And so I ended up being on Spill.com and related to those movies from there on out by watching video reviews on Spill.com and uh, sort of reveling in how negative those things turned out and were received. But I knew of Transformers mostly through cultural osmosis. Like, everybody had heard the theme song. They all knew Robots in Disguise. And I think this was best encapsulated because um, I was also a Newgrounds kid, like most people my age, uh, boys who were born around that time. And you saw Optimus Prime featured in the very popular Ultimate Showdown cartoon done by Neil Cesariga and company. And, uh, you know, if you landed in Ultimate Showdown, that meant you were hot shit in the culture. So I knew about Optimus and the Autobots all my life, but I rarely ever engage with Transformers media. I have not seen any of those live action movies except for the first. And the cartoon until last night was a mystery to me. Yeah, again, um, the that that movie, that movie, curse that movie. Um, no, people seem to associate a lot with it as their major exposure. And again, I like the iconography, you know, the Decepticon logo and the Autobot logo or just Megatron and uh, Optimus or Starscream. Just uh, the imagery of them and in very basic character traits seem to have ingrained themselves pretty thoroughly in the popular consciousness. And uh, honestly, a big part of that is uh, is this film, um, I think. I, I think this, this movie is what makes Optimus Prime into an icon in a lot of respects. But... Speaking to my own experience with this film, I saw it first when I was very young, and it was my first exposure to the Transformers franchise writ large. I was, I think, either three or four, and we went down. My uh, mother would take me to Star Video, where I would frequently uh, rent Muppet Babies. I would, or I would request, I would like to watch the Muppet Babies on tape. This time, I guess, I was feeling a bit more excited and said we picked up the Transformers, the movie. And I watched it and I I fell in love. I didn't understand anything that was going on, but I remember just like the pure visuals of it and my complete misunderstanding of the narrative at the time as some multi-generational storyline that it was not in any capacity. And I would not realize this until I revisited it years later. It really stuck with me at the time. But what's strange is it didn't really inform a huge love of the Transformers after the fact. Um, it informed a huge love of this film. The the franchise writ large, I, I have a lot of affection for, and I think it informed like a love of like robots and mecha anime and that sort of thing. But like my exposure is pretty limited to like I've watched a little bit of a lot of Transformers media. The Unicron trilogy of uh, anime series, I remember. I watched a little bit more Armada than I watched anything else. A tiny bit of Beast Wars and Beast Machines, a little bit of the G1 cartoon, the old Marvel comics, um, all that. Like, I'm exposed in a little bit, in a few ways, 
to a lot of different things in it. Um, but this this movie in particular sort of stands out in my mind as like the thing I always come back to that I would really want to come back to. And those um, the Michael Bay films, of course, which I mean I have pretty negative feelings about in general, like on an, on an aesthetic level as much as narrative. But um, yeah, this film is really good. And the one thing those Michael Bay films did do is later in life, they did remind me this movie kind of existed. And that's when I was able to get a DVD copy and revisit it um, as a as a older child and fall in love with it sort of all over again, which was cool and good. And speaking of how cool and good this movie is, what were your guys' expectations approaching it? Because like I was a dumb child with no literally no frame of reference who completely misunderstood it again. Whereas you guys seem to be adults with rational minds that could reason what this might be, or at least teens. The answer may shock you. These four white men. Uh, Tanner. So uh, you and I have discussed previously what I thought of the Transformers movie when I first saw it. I don't remember if I told you explicitly if I disliked it or liked it more. I think I was just always more met on it when I watched it as a child. Uh, something to keep in mind from the ages of like 13 to 17 I was the I, I should have I, I deserve to die I was the most annoying edgelord piece of shit when I was a teenager that'd be so fucking edgy and be like mm, I'm, I'm, I'm better than you except like when it came to cartoons I would still let myself watch cartoons because I guess because all the other edgy kids wouldn't watch cartoons and I thought I'll be even more edgy by being like fuck you I do watch cartoons I don't know. I was a, I was dumb then. I'm dumb now. So when I first watched Transformers, I don't really remember much of it other than being more meh, whatever on it. I remember Wheelie being annoying, which is weird because he has like, what, four fucking lines in the movie? I don't know why that stuck out so much in my mind. Yeah, I think we counted Wheelie has all of seven lines in the film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You and I counted um, in real time because <laughs> uh, my first time watching it as an adult was this past Monday. I also... Uh, watched parts of it again this morning. I wasn't able to fully rewatch it like I wanted to. But I watched it uh, Monday with um, Ethan, and there's this thing that people describe when they watch movies with me, where when they watch movies with me, they tend to like the movie even more, because the pure excitement I get out of watching movies enhances the experience for them. Watching this movie... This was the Wonder Woman 84 experience. Exactly. Watching this movie with Ethan made me like it more. When you watch something with someone who loves something so much, you 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 almost have no choice but want to see the love in it yourself. I really, really enjoyed uh, revisiting Transformers movie. I cried when Optimus died. Ethan didn't realize I cried until I told him about it like five minutes later. But, <laughs> you know, I got emotional when Optimus died. I think the action scenes are really exhilarating, really well animated. I love the way this movie plays with lighting. That was just something that stuck out so much to me. Ethan actually explained to me how they accomplished it because, like, when I, I, there was this one shot towards the beginning that was, like, shrouded in shadows. And I went, wow, why do those shadows look so good? And Ethan told me, because they're real shadows. And the way they use light, there's this one shot of, like, Optimus going at Megatron with, like, the sun in the background that Ethan really loved. You know the shot I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, when Megatron leaps into the air with his blade and it shows the the sun, there's, like, a flare effect as he lunges up into the air and then crashes down onto Optimus. That's, like, sort of the, the iconic shot. It is an amazing shot. Yeah, I really had a lot of fun with it. I like all the new characters, like the Galvatron, I really like. I like Robert Stack. I forgot the character he plays. I like Hot Rod. Ultra Magnus. Thank you. It's just Robert Stack in a costume. Everyone else is animated. He's in a costume, rotoscoped in. <laughs> it's a fun, exhilarating plot. And, of course, you got to talk about Orson Welles. 
Unicron makes her an excellent villain, especially when you make him his own planet, unlike in the Michael Bay movies where they said, you know what Unicron is? Earth. That was weird. But Unicron, I, Orson Welles' voice is so terrifying. You underestimate me, Galvatron. He's such an intimidating villain. I, I, I really want to gush about this movie so much, but it's hard to know exactly what to pinpoint because there's so much great stuff going on in it. I'm shocked I didn't have a bigger takeaway from him when I was younger beyond I must have just been an edgy kid that didn't want to be the guy that liked everything. Now I've only embraced being the guy that likes everything, but it's a really, really fun movie, and I'm really glad we picked it for the podcast, and I'm really glad I got to watch it with you, Ethan, because that really enhanced the experience for me. Yeah, I'm shocked you say that because I'm I feel very annoying. Like I had to moderate myself because I sort of just get in the habit of I've watched this film so many times, I just instinctively quote it as it's playing out. Like I'll just start saying the big lines. That's endearing, Ethan. No, well if you're if it's your first time or if it's your first time revisiting it, I don't know if it's that great, but I do enjoy it a lot. Again, like I just kind of I kind of like recite it. It's I don't you really do that with movies in general, but I do it with this one. It's permanently screwed up my lexicon. I'll always say unchrasmatic instead of charismatic because of uh, Rumble's comment in Astro Train when they're fighting for leadership. Hey, nobody calls Soundwave uncrasmatic. But Tim, what were your uh, sort of thoughts on the film and expectations going in? This is a movie that I've been pretty interested in watching, just hearing a lot about it from various sources. Like, I know I have one friend who's talked about the movie, and I've heard a lot about it from various places. And I remember learning about it in the history of film class when our teacher, Pete Turin, was talking about the works of Orson Welles. He puts, like, Christmas... 1984, he dies, and then 1986, Transformers the movie. And so, like, that was his, that was his first posthumous, posthumous, however you pronounce that word, that was his first role after he'd passed. So th- I thought that was something that was interesting, just on a film guy perspective, I guess. Going into it, it, it was just kind of knowing these things about it, and not necessarily being a whole lot of a Transformers guy, but like I, I enjoy mech stuff. I enjoy some of the Transformers stuff I've seen. So I was open to it. And like that opening five or so minutes where you just see this utopian robot world getting devoured by Unicron. And then they fucking blast the hard rock version of the Transformers theme song. I'm, like, I, I'm into it. This is great. I was very, very much into it from that point and I think the movie itself is a lot of fun it's a visual treat for the eyes I, I, w- I would say if if you're a fan of the Michael Bay movies and you don't really like cartoons you're probably not gonna like this movie but if you if you have a passing interest in Transformers and you like animation watch this movie it's it's a lot of fun so it's a good time it's very aesthetically beautiful and there's a lot to enjoy about the story and the characters and yeah it's good michael bay fans should watch it anyway so they know what a good transformers movie is yeah no I'm, I'm, i've always been of the mind that if you like fun movies you'll love this movie if you like movies if you like breathing you'll love this movie but also i'm incredibly biased Fuck breathing. Um, and i really recognize that i might be a bit t- like i'm not a very good judge for this film and i'm i'm curious what the the least first 
of us, um, their thoughts, going in, not really knowing what to expect from the film outside of things they might have heard. Austin, what did you think of the movie? I, um, I consider this to be my first movie with the Transformers that I grew up hearing about. Optimus Prime, the cartoons, the toys that uh, people like my older brother Brandon had engaged with and made the Transformers famous. I consider this my first interaction with that, and I'm happy that it's the feature film. I figured it was going to be a trash 80s movie with, you know, probably an A plot and a B plot, different teams based on, you know, who people care about more. There's a team with Optimus Prime, and then there's a team with, like, maybe some other new leader. You know, I haven't had much engagement with the media that came out of, like, Mark Fowler taking over the FCC and converting children's programming into monstrous trash. So I expected the very least of it. In fact, I got my husband to watch this one with me because I bought up a whole week of Goodwill after doing a lot of chores and going to a lot of events with my husband. And so I got to be like, oh, watch the Transformers movie. It was almost like I was forcing him to do so. And it came on and immediately the sequence where Unicron devours the planet had me thinking, oh no, this might be actually a classic animated film. They might have been trying to do something very different with this. I realized somewhat into the movie that I had forgotten a lot of Crack.com articles and sort of told by ear recounting of what this movie did to children at the time that it came out. Eventually you learn when you're watching it, you're like, oh yeah, this is that movie. It was fun getting to sort of walk through that step by step, especially with Sid, who was sort of raised in a closet and does barely even knows what the Transformers are. Getting to dive headfirst into this, not only was it beautiful, not only did it kick ass, but it was very interesting watching a piece of media-oriented children choose to do specifically this because... From a cynical's perspective, it's very hardcore. It's sort of fun to witness as as an observer who doesn't have very much invested, ha- didn't grow up with the cartoon, because it's sort of like, oh, this is badass. They made a very interesting decision. And also, um, the Blu-ray that I got came with extras, where you have people like Flint Dilly talking about the fallout of what happened after this movie. It's just been an enjoyable experience ever since first exposure because it was a lot more than I thought it would be. More than meets the eye, if you will. Um, certainly, I, I... We got him. Again, a adore this film. Um, I, I think the animation is mostly really gorgeous. Um, there are a few little errors. You know, um, there's a few coloring errors with Rumble being colored as Frenzy. There's a layering error, which I thought was very funny because Tanner was like, there were layering errors in that bad episode. There's a layering error right in the opening where um, Unicron, <laughs> one of his rings, is actually placed in front of a building on the, the planet he's devouring, Lithan. Um, so he just looks very small. But you're so distracted by the really elaborate and gorgeous backgrounds in that shot that you're not going to notice it. I guarantee it. And again, it's very pretty. Um, it's so cinematically staged and storyboarded as opposed to a lot of the television series, which despite being animated in Japan by Toei Animation for the most part, looked very stagey. Um, it looked a lot more conventionally photographed, quote unquote, in terms of the action and everything. But this it feels like a proper film, um, not just like a higher budget episode of the series. The stakes are so much higher. The amount, the quantity of violence like when you you see again and this is 
Placing this in context, imagine being with these characters for 65 plus episodes of animated television series, two seasons of television where they were largely consequence free. Um, these characters would get blown apart and then reassembled and then immediately launching in to an entire planet being devoured and it being fairly explicit that these these people being devoured are dying. And then immediately launching into all of your cartoon favorites being brutally killed. Like when you see Prowl get blasted and then his eyes turn red as smoke pours out of his mouth or Ironhide desperately grasping at Megatron's ankle. No. And then such heroic nonsense as he's shot in the head right off screen. I I think it it sets up so much and for such a cynical reason, for such a we need to replace the toy line. And this was their best idea. We knew that part of the reason we're bringing out the movie is we wanted to launch the 86 toy line. In order to do that, you have to get rid of the 85 toy line. There is a certain internal logic that I appreciate to it in that you don't see the Autobots really kill any Decepticons. They are still ostensibly the good guys. Like, I mean, you see um, one of the uh, the Insecticons, Shrapnel, I believe, get pretty messed up by Hot Rod's wheel, but otherwise um, they're, they're replaced by being transformed, haha, into new forms by Unicron, or as uh, Orson Welles called him, a toy that eats other toys. Um, (laughs) There's something so incredible about Unicron as a threat. Unicron is, like, he's so different from Megatron, who was just sort of the sneering villain, or Starscream, the the cowardly assistant, in that he's he's so... He's not a guffawing villain. He doesn't go, mwahaha, I'm going to break all your stuff. He just does. He just comes, he eats... He leaves. There, there is a sense of, uh, I mean, he's, a lot of people compare him to Galactus, and rightfully so, considering Transformers Marvel comic origins. And he's just so different from what we'd seen. We, he's the closest thing to a god in the Transformers universe up to this point, because this, is, this predates the idea of, like, Primus. And there are just other really good concepts here. Um, like, we see the, uh, what is the second main female Autobot, which will steadily become more common. And I appreciate that part of the reason she exists is just because um, Bob Budiansky, one of the comic authors, was like, my, gr- my my daughter wants to see more of herself in this series. Um, you should introduce a female toy. And she never got a toy. Her toy, her toy had a prototype, and it was never moved into mass manufacture. Um, and they're technically... Bastards. Yeah, I, I don't I don't get why they didn't do that. Silly, um, weird 80s logic. Sexism. Yeah, sexism. Um, Sexist Don strikes again! Again, like the cast does great work throughout the film. Um, the, the soundtrack is incredible. I still adore it to this day. But like I can, I, I can just gush about the film from top to bottom. But I actually wanted to ask an interesting, there is a dichotomy to there, like a hard dividing line for a lot of people. So I was curious about your guys' thoughts on this. How do you, enjoy the film after the Battle of Autobot City, once Megatron and Prime fight, because a lot of people's memory seems to end around the time that ends, their memory of this film, or their opinion of it lessens significantly after that. So I'm curious, did you did it like let you down after that? Or like did you feel that it declined in quality at all? I will say this, it almost feels like two different movies almost. I like both equally, but that opening section with like, you know, you have the Decepticons being like, we got them. We got them and go full U.S. military on their asses. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, um, it's really engaging in the fight between Optimus and Megatron. I think it's actually really great. Again, I, it might, 
that Optimus Megatron fight might actually be my favorite part of the movie. But it, that's not to say that it declines after that. It just peaks really high really early. It, 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 let's say like that opening's like a five out of five, and then the rest of the movie's four out of five. I think it's the best way to phrase it for me. So it's a decline, yes, but I, I, I don't think it's so much so that it, it ruins your enjoyment. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this movie that I actually really enjoy, like that weird, like, tribunal guy with, like, the f- three heads. Oh, the, the Quintesson. Yeah. The five heads. Uh, he, he hit me, like, real big living tribunal from Marvel Energy, and I don't know why, who's, like, innocent, innocent, innocent. Innocent. And, and, and But they die anyway. And, of course, yeah. I missed that the first time, as you rightfully pointed out, because the first guy they kill, they say innocent, and then he gets fallen in. For some reason, I had in my head that they said guilty. Yeah, Tanner thought that Cranix, when uh, Cranix <laughs> is the last survivor of Lithan, who says, spare me this mockery of justice, um, as he is, then tumbles into the pit. Tanner just thought he walked back because he was scared and killed himself. <laughs> I thought he fell in. It's very funny. But I no. love that. That's so weird. I love weird stuff like that. Yeah, I like the kind of interesting alien culture stuff they do because a big part of that is coming from the television series where it was largely based on Earth and now they're moving into space, the final frontier. It's real sci-fi. It's real big sci-fi stuff. Yeah, yeah, kind of sci-fi concepts they're exploring um, and they would try to explore it in season three and it sucked because the animation was bad and the writing got worse. Whatever. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. You do. Tim, I'm curious. Did you think that there was a divide in quality? Um, I'm not sure I would say it was a super sharp decline. I think my thoughts are kind of on the same lines as Tanner's. Like, I I think that opening was really strong. And then after that, maybe not quite as strong, but it's still it's still good after that. There's some silliness with some of the character moments, but I don't think it's outside of anything you would expect from the TV show, really. Yeah, I mean, it's overall a fun movie. I think you still have the high stakes with Unicron throughout the whole thing, and I think that's interesting throughout. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that's fair. I think Unicron keeps the the stakes high throughout, um, at least for me. But I definitely see where people are coming from Where when they say it doesn't stick out quite as much. Some people th- kind of exaggerate the drop-off in quality, I think. But again, I, I can't be sure because I come from such a weird place with this film. Austin, what is your opinion on the rest of the film? Sorry for the lack of um, opinion diversity in the panel, uh, but I, <laughs> I also thought the second half of the movie blended with the first half of the movie. It was fine. There was still a lot of enjoyable stuff that transferred over from the first half of the movie. What, what's the name of the dinosaur robot, the T-Rex one? Grimlock. Grimlock. Grimlock was still in the second half and had funnier parts in the second half, and I love Grimlock. Me Grimlock not kiss her. Me Grimlock king. Eric Idle voiced the uh, robot with the silly mustache on the junk planet. Is that correct? Yeah, he was uh, Rek Gar, leader of the Junkions. There was a good contrast where the greeting didn't work on the shark planet, but then that set me up to be surprised when the greeting did work on the junk planet, and of all things, Dare to be Stupid started playing. I love that scene. As, as fun as the siege of Autobot City was, I felt that there was an equal level of excitement 
when all the robots went inside of Unicron and, you know, had the final battle. I can't relate to anybody who thinks, because I, I, I suppose this is me not growing up with Optimus Prime in the TV show because I was too busy watching Ninja Turtles. I'm sorry, I was cool. So, you know, I, that first half of the movie, just because Optimus is there, the one doing the fighting, I think the filmmakers, screenwriters, everybody did a good job of keeping a steady level of excitement throughout, and that divide did not exist for me. Yeah, I definitely get what you mean. My my thoughts on it are, I understand it intellectually, but I, I like all the rest of it, basically. Like, I like all the action later on, and I like all everything you get with, um, I like Hot Rod as a character. I, my, if I have one complaint about this film, it's that I wish there was a bit more of him, that you got to see him develop a little bit more, and that he, um, there was more stuff, because I love the way he, and in particular, he and Cup play off each other. Lionel Standers' performance as Cup is great, as is Judd Nelson's as um, Hot Rod. Uh, he really could have phoned it in potentially for you know a big celebrity getting a role in this stupid robot movie but i think um both stander and nelson do fantastic work i have nothing but contempt for this court but uh, I understand where people come from because there is a sense like at, at the start you're just watching all your faves all your cartoon faves get absolutely murked just <laughs> brutalized um and then that doesn't really happen throughout the rest where you, like, after the death of Optimus Prime, um, what do you have? You have the—you uh, only really have the death of Ultra Magnus, and even then he's reassembled. Also, the one um, the one uh, Decepticon <laughs> that tried to become king, I believe, also dies. Pour one out for my homie. Oh, Starscream. Yeah, after um, Optimus dies, it's uh, Starscream is, is killed by Galvatron because of his bad comedy. <laughs> you get Ultra Magnus, who's dismembered, but he's, you know, immediately rebuilt— and there's, there's still a sense of stakes because of Unicron about to devour Cybertron. But I think that there's less of a grounding element. Like, you see people theoretically suffer comparable injuries. Like, I think as a, as a small child, I, I did think Ultra Magnus died. I, again, I misunderstood. I think that I thought the later Ultra Magnus was a different character. Again, like, very small, very young. <laughs> so I, again, sort of get where people are coming from in terms of a lessening of stakes, even if I don't agree with it wholeheartedly in that I, I still very much enjoy the rest of the film. But um, I just think it's an interesting, interesting to get more perspectives on that. And sort of on that dividing line, just briefly, what are your thoughts on the death of Optimus Prime and the decision to kill off the leader character? And what are your thoughts on his replacement in the form of Hot Rod? I think it was a very, uh, it was a ballsy decision. I understand it stemmed from, <laughs> we need to make more toys. I understand it fundamentally. It was greed. It was American capitalism where the uh, decision ultimately is rooted from. I think uh, from a storytelling perspective, I think it really works because it immediately gives great motivation to our new cast of characters. It almost endears you to them seeing because they're upset. They're very emotional and it immediately endears you to them because you feel just as hurt as they do. You immediately feel their pain because it's the same pain you're feeling because the death of Optimus is an incredibly well done sequence. The music in that scene, if I remember, it's more minimalist relative to a lot of the film, but it works really well. It's um, the performances are A1. You see Daniel. Prime, you can't die. Damn, Daniel, get on him. It endears you to the new cast of Transformers, especially um, Robert Stack and Hot Rod. But it immediately endears you to them because, you know, he has that scene where he's like, here, here's the Wachowski's Matrix. And, you know, 
it lets you have one last goodbye to Optimus, who was probably most kids' favorite Transformer. Uh, I wasn't. Mine was Bumblebee because I was even more of a basic bitch. But um, I think it's a ballsy, powerful storytelling move that really sets the it sets the stakes. Optimus is dead. Shit is real. It's like you're saying how it really it's a big step up from the TV show. The stakes are higher. The stakes are real. Shit is happening. Optimus Prime is fucking dead. It's really powerful and effective storytelling moment. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it, it does set the stakes, and then the framing of it is very important. But uh, Tim, what did you think of the death of Optimus Prime? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, a lot of what Tanner was saying, I, I would say that I agree with. I mean, it's definitely a it, very ballsy and very emotionally powerful moment, and uh, kind of what he was touching on with uh, your feeling for the characters, which I think it, it, this is something that I've talked about with a friend of mine a lot uh, in that what makes death scenes emotional is not that the character dies but seeing the reactions of the others who are watching this character die and that's what you get in that scene and that's what really makes it powerful and like yeah it's definitely one of the things that sets this movie apart from a lot of other movies based on a popular kid's property. Like the Power Rangers movie, they have the little thing where Zordon is dying, but then he's fine at the end of the movie, whatever. But like this, this is a, this is more of a real thing. And it, it plays into what they were trying to do with this movie. Like I had heard that they were like, trying really hard to get a PG instead of a G and so that was that was why they were putting more of the edge into the movie like they're having these characters die they're having a guy say shit at one point oh shit what are we gonna do now uh, there's a lot going on they're just trying to make this a big like this 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 ain't your kids Transformers movie kind of movie yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess, I guess like stakes um, in terms of just um, kind of getting that rating, focusing on someone's death, even if they are a machine, because um, I think that was a big part. Obviously, if you were depicting humans dying in such a way, it would be very easy to get an a R rating for the way that the, some of the Autobots die in this film or like like even some of the Decepticons. But you obviously with robots, it's more difficult. But I think focusing on specifically the, the death element of a character, like the long term, that's that's an interesting way of, of trying to score it, certainly. And again, trying to make it more mature and set the stakes. Um, and I think it helps establish Hot Rod sort of immediately, seeing how he, along with his fellow Autobots, responds to that death. But I'm, I'm really curious about Austin as someone who has like the least attachment to these characters of all of us responded to that death. I um, I had forgotten until last night that this was that movie. I've read a billion crack.com articles about what this did in the past and I forgot all of it. So um, I didn't know Optimus died. And I don't consider Optimus in the Michael Bay movies to be the Optimus Prime that Americans talk about. I consider the animated 2D Optimus Prime to be the Optimus Prime. So I, um, when he died, grown 26-year-old man, I cried really hard because I didn't, I wasn't ready for Optimus Prime to die. And it was really weird because my, my husband didn't like, you know, grow up hearing all about Optimus Prime. So he was like, are you actually crying? And I got roasted really hard. This morning I watched some extras. What? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I cried so when this mean. happened. It was like um, I just got to experience the thing that all the 80s kids did because, I don't know, the way that he dies was particularly well done. Got to watch uh, Flint Dilly talk about it on the Blu-ray. He said that he modeled the death after a death that traumatized him in a movie. What I was thinking about for Optimus's death was it was John Wayne in the Alamo. And Dilly goes on to describe that it's important to show kids that one traumatic death scene, that death scene that is a little too much for them. And that would be interesting to have like a developmental psychologist evaluate whether that's true or not. I find that the sadness that comes out of watching somebody that you're very attached to die to be sort of important to live with. And uh, it was it was sort of wonderful. It felt good in a way to just, um, you know, have that feeling of even the most important things go away sometimes. I thought that, you know, the, the scene was set up really well. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I did a good job of establishing the rest of the movie, uh, the stakes, and uh, shit. I cannot. Apparently, there was a kid in, like, Detroit back in the day. Dilly brings this up in multiple interviews. Apparently some kid in Michigan, I think, locked himself into the bathroom for two weeks. And I just I just wish I could go give that kid a hug. It was cool seeing like the 80s equivalent of a Game of Thrones maneuver happen in a Transformers movie. Austin, that kid from Detroit, that kid from Detroit is Ethan Hawker. Oh, my God. No, it's not. Um, this bit is over. That's a different franchise involving robots. That's what you're thinking of. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you mean um, in terms of the significance of this uh, death. Um, yeah, like uh, seeing a cultural icon die like this. And I think part of it is the framing because it's how a lot of kids are going to watch somebody they care about die. Like I think there's there's many people who have stories about watching their own – it's sort of like having your father die um, in the hospital room when with everyone gathered around him as the light slowly fades from his eyes. And like it's obviously an idealized form of that as you see the readouts sort of fade and he's given – like it's, it's doing plot setup but it's also very almost true to life, almost um, a way of preparing – children for that, which is what, part of what I like about it. Like, he doesn't die on the battlefield. He's not, you know, surrounded by smoke and fire. Um, he's surrounded by the people he loves. As It's terrible and it's traumatizing, but then the next time you see the Autobots, they're rebuilding. And I, I like that. I like that as a follow-up. You know, Prime is dead, and it's, it's awful and it's tragic, but we have to continue on. And that's all such a shame because that scene has a lot of animation errors in it. <laughs> oh, the scene after it with the Decepticons uh, and the power vacuum was also so well set up by how beautiful the Optimus Prime death scene is. That was so funny. Yeah, like how like they just like instead of gathering on his deathbed, it's I still function, wanna bat, <laughs> then just chucks him into space. <laughs> Immediately. All right, who's in charge now? Yeah, and then Soundwave and the Constructicons and Starscream just arguing and beating the shit out of each other. Um, I, I think that is a really good setup there in general for sort of that power dynamic and also sort of the establishing uh, you know, Megatron's own relationship with his, his followers versus Prime's because Megatron just sort of always abused his people and treated them poorly, hence why they would not care. Even Soundwave, typically loyal, is more than happy to stand by when he sees that he's sort of the minority in the room in terms of defending Megatron. 
Yeah, the Death of Optimus Prime sequence is interesting also because it has several animation errors, like the the, ma- the matrix being doubled up several times. I think it's it's odd that that happened, <laughs> which I, I, I still think it's very effective. It's just I think they stand out more prominently to me every time because they're they're fairly egregious. And of course, at this point, it's it's so odd because this will always be the death of Optimus Prime, and it'll always elicit such strong reactions. But Optimus Prime dying is like. It's like a Labor Day sale. It happens constantly. <laughs> um, like even in G one, he's brought back and dies two times. He's brought back and dies in season three, and then he's brought back again at the end of the very end of season three. Um, if I recall, he's brought back and dies in the Japanese Headmaster series. Stuff like that. It happens all the time. There's a time in the comics he died because he cheated at a computer. I love Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yes. Yeah, basically. I mean, that. Yeah, no, but he's basically Goku. He's he's the he's an anime dad of a sort. So there you go, Tanner. This is your brand. You love dad. Dad's rock, baby. Dad's rock. And yeah, and I think sort of the carryover to Hot Rod and how they set up his his eventual transition to leadership in a way because I think he reflects a lot of Optimus's ideals in a way that Ultra Magnus like very superficially does. Like he's a strong soldier and he he looks physically similar, but um, Hot Rod is an idealist, more so than any of the other Autobots. And that's sort of what saves the day when everyone, when all hope is lost and people are shrouded in despair. He comes in and even after watching Cup fail, he goes, Ba weep grana, weep ninibong, and they make peace with the Junkions. Ultra Magnus is repaired. Unicron turns from this amorphous, monstrous machine into a man, a physical thing that can be fought. Like it, Just making him into a cool robot man makes him more you're able to make him feel pain when they penetrate his eye so i think the transition in leadership there is really effective in terms of you know how sort of optimus is characterized because like he doesn't just like carefully think things out he just when he arrives on earth at autobot city he rides in and just starts kicking ass and taking names and doing all that and that's more reflective of how hot rod did it at the end of the film, whereas you see Ultra Magnus, he's, you know, Perceptor, what's going on, you know, getting the cannon ready and sort of failing to defend Autobot City, by and large. So I think that that comes together, um, even if it's imperfect, in a really cool way. And one last question before, um, I I want to discuss this because it's of some significance to the film, and it's usually a short question too, (laughs) which certainly helps. What were your guys' thoughts on the uh, the soundtrack and the score to the film? And then we'll do final thoughts. Uh, I think the score of this film was incredible. There is a movie that the composer of this movie also did, Vince DiCola, called Rocky IV, which is the greatest movie ever made because of the soundtrack. And there's a lot of similarness there. Ethan, you pointed out to me that I believe it was Unicron's theme is ostensibly the same as Ivan Drago's theme. Is that right? Uh, I, I would say that Unicron's is like an evolution more so than it is yeah. like a, a pure copy, but they are very similar. They're very similar, but it, it feels more, even though it's the similarities, because it makes sense because... Ivan Drago, Unicron, two equally terrifying forces, I think. Now I just want to talk about Rocky IV. Fuck, sorry. Um, <laughs> the score of this movie, I think, is really incredible. Vince DiCola is an absolute, incredibly talented man. And I really think the music enhances a lot of scenes. He goes big when you need to go big. He goes small when you need to go small. You know, that kind of thing. And it's so uh, mechanical. And it's really 80s synthy type of stuff in the soundtrack a lot, too. More than just the soundtrack, or more than just the score, though, the soundtrack of the movie is awesome. When you talked about, oh, like, oh, hey, Weird Al played that guy in the show and went, ah, that's cool. And then, like, a minute later, Dare to be Stupid started playing. I think you told me it was going to start playing, and I still went, whoa! 
because first off, it's Weird Al. And secondly, holy shit, it's one of his original songs. That's awesome. Because Weird Al is a very talented, uh, the more than a lot of movies, I, I, you know, some movies, a lot of people can forget. Film is a visual audio medium. And I really think the audio, the sound of this movie, it really enhances it to a new level because like I said, Vince Nicola is an incredibly talented composer. And I think every, every instrument, every synth line, every everything is so beautifully, perfectly placed and complements the movie perfectly. There, I was um, actually humming Unicron's theme in my head earlier today because um, it's, it's, it's a great piece of music. And the music in general is awesome. And, you know, Unicron's theme rolls, especially at the end when, you know, he's changing size, like, constantly. I love the music. Yeah, yeah, the food scaling stuff. You know, I think uh, the Rocky IV compares, um, referencing Nicola's other major soundtrack is apt because that's the reason he got this job was because um, they really loved his score for Rocky IV. And I think a lot of the synth line, the synth stuff you get here is, it's very different. A lot of synth stuff can sound very cheap. And this this is really good. Like it's, um, he's an accomplished pianist as well as a synth musician. And it really, really comes through in how full um, it sounds despite the because um, that's the thing about synth music or synth scores especially sometimes they can sound a bit sparse and often intentionally so but he feels like he crams a lot in which I think it definitely helps um, make it feel synthetic but still like a for, full proper movie score Tim thoughts on the score and the soundtrack uh, yeah I mean I, I don't have anything super deep to say about it but I, I did enjoy the music a lot it was very engaging throughout the movie. Like I said, that that opening sequence, just hearing that hard rock version of the theme song, it like like you know the song, and then just like hearing this version of it made it this like big thing. And yeah, just throughout uh, the music was really good. Um, it really helped set the mood. Yeah, that's that's about all I have to say on it. But it's good music. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, sometimes that's all you have to say. That's all it, you know, has to be. It's very distinct. It's very singular. It's very good. Um, good. Austin, thoughts on the score? Good. Boogie Nights is my favorite movie. For the longest time, I knew Stan Bush's The Touch from Boogie Nights. Mark Wahlberg doing it. And now that I've seen the original, I feel complete somehow. I'm happy that these people got to get in a room full of so many, every synthesizer available at the time and make this stuff. My husband thought the music was the best part and I almost want to agree with him. It is amazing 80s arena rock. It's great. You got the touch. Exactly. Yeah, the the soundtrack's really great. Um, the touch of all things, it was not originally made for this film. It was made for the Stallone vehicle, uh, Cobra, which is a, a bad movie. That's the one where he cuts a slice of pizza in half to eat it. It's not very fun, but it does have that scene where he cuts a slice of pizza in half, which I still yeah. think is funny. But did he cut the slice of pizza in half? It also inspired Fist of the North Star. Yes, partially. I You're think. already dead. Nani. Um, and Vince DiCola's score is, uh, again, very rich, complex, interesting. Uh, a lot of good, good stuff going on there. Um, his, his influences are showing through. He was inspired by um, Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer heavily, and you can hear a lot of that because uh, Emerson's a really great uh, pianist as well as a synth musician. And uh, there's sort of a prog rock feel to a lot of the music, more so than a lot of the uh, the early synth artists. It's less new wave than a lot of stuff you'd get back then. And he also um, helped compose one of the vocal tracks, Dare, which has that really great uh, instrumental breakdown after the second uh, verse uh, that I love. 
and I could go on. Like, I, there was a time in my life where I would listen to the soundtrack to this film once a week, basically through the entirety of high school. I listened to it once a week, and the score, once I discovered the score, I would listen to that basically ad nauseum as well. So, like, it's, it's always been a huge thing in informing my tastes um, in music and otherwise. I can gush about it forever, but um, I think it's just about time to wrap this bad boy up. What are your guys' final thoughts on the Transformers, the movie? I think out of all of the podcasts that you've hosted, this might be my favorite of the movies you've made us watch. Uh, it's close between this and Megazone. You might think I'm crazy for liking it more than Megazone, but I really think I might. I, I The thing that really stood out to me, I said this earlier, but I, I just want to emphasize it again. The way the movie uses lighting, I think it's just really stunning and incredible, and I don't see that a lot in the kind of animated movies I watch. So what really stuck out of my mind is how well it uses lighting. And I, I, I just want to emphasize that again, because again, the, the use of lighting is so cool. But overall, I really, again, I really love Transformers. Everything is sort of firing on all cylinders. There's a lot of good emotional beats. I think the characters and the performance, especially Judd Nelson is a standout. And Leonard Nimoy, how the hell did we not bring up Leonard Nimoy once? I don't know. He voices Galvatron, and I think he's a really great villain force. Transformers, the movie is just great. You like, do you like movie? You like this one, as Ethan so eloquently put earlier. Really, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. And again, being able to watch it with you, it, it was an incredible experience that I am so grateful to have had. It really enhanced the movie. It's such a fun movie. It's You should definitely watch it. Break into Ethan's house. Make him watch it with you. He'll probably agree to do it. Eh, probably. Really, it's, it's such a fun movie. I loved it. And thank you for bringing it on to the podcast. For sure. No, I'm always happy to share Transformers the movie, and I'm glad you like it. I like this movie more than Megazone 2, 3, Part 1, for what it's worth. Like, I love this movie. Um, We're both cool. I wrote, I wrote a college ent entrance essay on this movie, and that's how I got to got into Webster. I got money for that, um, scholarship <laughs> money for it. So that, like, that, yeah, that's, like, I don't know why I opted to do that. Like, it was originally just a one-off lark, and I thought it was for, like, an in-class assignment. And I'm like, I won't actually use this. And then I developed it to the point where my English teacher was like, this is really good. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> Tim, final thoughts on the film. Sorry, I went on a long diatribe there. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really good. As someone who is just kind of passing familiarity with Transformers, it was something that I still found to be very enjoyable and the animation is really gorgeous to look at yeah if, if you're a fan of animated films and you like robots you gotta watch this one it's got it all it got robots in disguise a lot of great emotional beats a lot of great animation and just a really enjoyable well-made movie yeah well-made too too is a good point again just because the visuals are so on point the shading and everything so good and austin first timer it's beautiful the characters are all voiced by fantastic actors the whole thing looks great but finally i have a way to get gen xers to come over into the socialist circles capitalism breeds innovation capitalism caused the great toy massacre of 86 you didn't want optimus prime to die well that's what you get under this system thank you ethan on behalf of socialists everywhere, you've finally given me the bridge between me and people like the Wachowskis. We can finally get the Gen Xers on our team. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic movie. Capitalism killed my robot dad. <laughs> um, I want I, that on a T-shirt. No, Holy shit. I need that on a T-shirt right fucking now. 
No, I, I definitely get what you mean um, in terms of socialism. I know H, um, H. Bomber guy actually talked about this several times uh, in an old essay and in like a video essay format where he, he deconstructed it as sort of like a counter to nihilism, um, a lot of its ideology, which I thought was really interesting. I disagree with his take that the majority of the film is bad because he's dumb and wrong in that regard, despite usually being very interesting and smart. <laughs> kidding you're a delight but you are wrong about this film harris i know you're a listener to the bomb squad podcast he's our biggest um, fan he is deaf machine star yes <laughs> but no again I, I love this film it's informed so much of of my life my horrible life choices wait a second maybe i don't love this film <laughs> no it caused you to meet me <laughs> in, a, in a way yes but no, I, again, I adore the film. I adore the score, the soundtrack. I think it's um, a really fun narrative. I think there are some genuinely compelling ideas throughout, but, but more than anything, it's a, a great film that's just so fun. And thank you so much for tuning in. Next time, join the Bomb Squad sans Ethan and with far more interesting people, um, including some compelling guests who I we... Might not have quite nailed down, but they'll be compelling and guests for uh, In the Heights, the uh, hit film from Lin-Manuel Miranda, famous for his performance in uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. That's it. So yeah, as Ethan said, we'll be doing In the Heights next week. Make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And as of right now, speaking of a lot of fun, you're a real fun guy. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you're listening to any of the audio platforms or on, or if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, thank you very much for watching it. Go ahead and go down to the comments section below and let us know, what do you think of Transformers the movie? Have you ever seen it before? What do you think of it? Do you want us to cover maybe the Michael Bay movies? If you do, too bad. We probably never will. But if you beg really hard, maybe we'll consider it. And while you're down there, go ahead and hit that like button so we know how much you like us. Hit that subscribe button so you know how much you love us. And hit that bell icon so you know exactly when we upload new videos. Thank you so very much for watching, guys. And I will see you next time. Until all are one. Take care. <laughs>